One of my, I don't know if I want to call it a guilty pleasure because it's not, I don't really feel guilty about it, but one of the things I do still like to do from time to time uh, is I like to read the paper with my coffee. I don't get a paper delivered, so it's not like it happens that often. Uh, and being honest, generally, if it's the West Australian, I'm probably only really reading the sports section. There, there might be some other bits in there that I can find that are worth reading, but not necessarily all the time. Uh, the local paper, so my parents bring us the Mandarin news, because we obviously don't get that being in the Shire of Murray, uh, but they bring that out to us, and every now and then I'll flip through that, and, and that gives me an idea of sort of what's going on. Uh, and I enjoy it. There's something about the paper. There's something about just having the newspaper in front of me, which is quite different to anything else. But then the reality is, me reading the newspaper is only very every now and then. Uh, most of the time, my news reading is done digitally or, or in many other different ways. I might hear it on the news, you know, listen to the news or be watching TV. Not that I really watch much actual commercial TV these days. Uh, but different ways that I actually get the news. Uh, it's a little bit like a man in a small country town many, many years ago. I uh, don't know the exact town because the story just shared the basics of it. But he, he bought a newspaper. The town was 4,000 people and only 500 people, and I think it was 4,000 adults. 4,000 adults. And only 500 people in that town actually physically got a newspaper delivered to him. And so for the longest time, he was racking his brain and racking his brain and racking his brain, trying to work out, how do I get more people to read my newspapers? How do I get more people to order my newspapers? How do I actually make sure that more people get my newspapers? Until one day, something clicked for him. He realised he wasn't in the newspaper business. He was in the news business. People reading the newspaper was not the important thing. It was people reading the news or listening to the news or finding out about the news. See, people weren't necessarily rejecting the news. It wasn't that they didn't want to know what was going on. It wasn't what they didn't uh, want to actually have an update of where things were. They just weren't interested in paying for a newspaper or reading the newspaper. Uh, and so what was going on was he realised that the newspaper itself was merely a medium, it was a method, it was, it was something that they had to use to share the news. I wonder if you've ever thought about the church in, in a context like this. See, increasingly the world is changing and less and less people seem interested in, in the church or in Christianity or in faith or in the way things have been done for a long time. And we can start to argue and sort of decide about, you know, what do we do and what we can't we do and how do we go about this and how do we make sure that we focus in on what is it that we're actually about? Are we about running a church service or are we about following Jesus? And what does that look like? And what does that mean? And, and how do we actually live in this time? Uh, we're continuing our series looking through the book of Acts. And it's a journey through the book of Acts. It's a fairly long book. Therefore, it's a fairly long series. I'm not doing every story. I'm trying to pick the ones that are really major, that have a really major focus in the early church. Uh, and we're looking at how is it? How is it that a little group of 12 who then became a group of about 120, who then became a group of about 500, who then became a much larger group, led to it still being today the most professed to faith around the world. How is it that this happened? Well, we get a huge glimpse of that throughout the book of Acts. And so that's the journey that we're on today.
But a couple of questions that I want you to think about for yourself as we get started. And this might be for you or this might be for people that you know. Uh, Do you or have you ever related to any of the following? Maybe you're someone who's interested in Jesus, but you struggle to accept some Christian teachings. You, You have no problem with Jesus, but you struggle to accept some Christian teachings. Maybe you're someone who's confused by how are there so many types of Christianity? There's the the Catholics and there's the Protestants and within the Protestants you've got your Methodists and you've got your Presbyterians and your Baptists and your Church of Christ and you've got those who are non-denominational and what's a denomination? And you're confused about the reality that there are so many stripes of Christianity. What's going on there? Who is a Christian who isn't a Christian? Maybe you're a Christian who's struggling to know how to live and share your faith in a post-Christian world. Uh, in case you hadn't noticed that the world's changed uh, in the last 100 years, but I think if you were back 100 years, they'd say that it had changed from 100 years before. And if you went back 100 years from that, they would say, you can certainly see over the last few hundred years, the world has been shifting and changing. But at some point in the last 100 years, Uh, Most people who sort of study history and sort of study trends and how things go would say that we switch from being a Christian world to a post-Christian world. Certainly in the West. I mean, the West is all that matters, right? That's certainly the way we think sometimes. Uh, In the West, we went from being what was called Christendom to really being post-Christian. And it's messy and it's difficult and it's how do we live in this world today? Well, one of the encouragements that I want to leave just as we actually get started into our passage shortly is today's world is actually a whole lot more like it was when the early church was around. That actually some of the tensions that we come across today, some of the challenges that we come across today, they're not having the rights that we might have used to have as followers of Jesus. They're not having things the way that we used to have them as followers of Jesus. is actually a whole lot more like it was in the early church. And those conditions actually led to the church thriving the most that it has throughout the history of the church. There's a different mindset. There's a different way of looking at things. And that's one of the challenges that we have. So I'd love you to jump with me into Acts chapter 15. It'll be up on the screens if you'd like to follow along. Uh, certainly you're welcome to do so. But we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 15. Now, starting at verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Uh, so just going back a little step, and actually, no, that, that comes up in a moment. Uh, 
obviously, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how it was mostly a Jewish faith. It was mostly Jewish followers. And just now, just in the last little while, uh, and certainly as we get into this passage, Gentiles have started to come to know Jesus. Gentiles have started to profess a belief in Jesus. And this is a whole new realm for the early church. Because up until now, they've pretty much been able to just stay Jewish and just sort of follow their Jewish ways and just sort of change them a little bit to account for the realities of Jesus. But now we've got Gentiles that do not look anything like the Jews, do not operate like the Jews, do not worship like the Jews, do not act like the Jews, starting to come to know Jesus. And so the question that they're really wrestling with in this time is how Jewish is Christianity going to be? How much do the Jewish people have to change their way of thinking, change their way of operating, change their way of doing things? What are the things that they're going to have to put in place? What are the things they're going to have to allow? And so today's one is a very, very important one because very much the Jewish mindset was every male had to be circumcised. Uh, it comes from Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 to 10. So it's, this is not just a teaching of the elders. This is not one of those extra things that's added on in the Jewish faith. Because there are, there are things that Jewish people follow that don't come directly from what we would call the scriptures. But this is not one of them. This is a direct command from the law. And it says this, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the, of the people at the moment because we can look back and we know how this ends. Well, maybe you don't. You're about to find out. But the Jewish people, it's, it's really, really clear in their scriptures, the covenant that they've been following, the law that they subscribe to, it is very, very clear. Males are to be circumcised. What are they going to keep? What's going to change? Why? And how is that going to impact on faith moving and so we see in, in Acts 15, we pick it up in verse 7. After much discussion, and I, I think that's a really truncated thing, like I, my hunch is this was a lot of discussion. This was like a really long members meeting. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So what he's referring to here is in Acts chapter 10, so just a few chapters before, uh, Peter has a dream and he has a dream of something which is unclean. And in this dream, he is told to go and eat this unclean food. And he's like, I can't eat unclean food. Like I'm a, I'm a Jew. That is not something that I do. I must not eat what is unclean. And the dream comes again, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, I can't do that. And what ends up coming out of it is that God was telling Peter, someone is going to come and see you. His name is Cornelius. He's a Gentile. And a good Jew was not seen with a Gentile in various contexts. 
and you are to share with him the message of Jesus. This was earth-shattering. This was, I don't even know how to describe how hard it would have been for Peter to imagine interacting with Cornelius in this way. It was a really big deal as they thought about what does it mean to follow Jesus. So this is, he goes on to say, God, who knows the heart, that's a key phrase, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit. See, Cornelius received the Spirit. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't convert it to Judaism. He received the Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. This is a monumental moment in the life of the church. This is where they decided that actually being Jewish was not what it took to know God. This is a complete shift in their thinking. It is by grace. They're not saved through their law. That's what Peter's saying here. It's not because we're really, 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 really good observers of the law, because we're not. We haven't been for generations. It is by the grace of our Lord that we are saved. It is by the grace of our Lord that they are saved. So then he goes on to say this. This is, this is how they kind of judge it. Uh, verse 39, and there's a little section in before. Feel free to go through and read that. Uh, it's not essential. It's just the outside bits. Uh, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Down to verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They're not going to become Jewish. They're not going to follow the Jewish understanding. They're not going to do all the Jewish things. The church, the followers of Jesus, are going to be a new covenant. It's going to be a new way of knowing and being known by God. It's not that it's a discontinuation entirely. Jesus fulfills the law. The law is not done away with. It doesn't mean we do not read the Old Testament. That's a whole other sermon that we don't have time for today. But it's a very significant shift. And in essence, what they've boiled it down to is this. Here are the two keys. As you journey with people towards Jesus, as as you help them to wrestle through their own faith and what it means to know Jesus and, and all the myriad of questions that they will and do have, focus on the heart. Try not to be difficult. Focus on the heart. Try not to be difficult. And we'll dig into that a bit more as we progress. Now, that doesn't mean that they were just saying, you know what, anything goes. 
Now now it's about grace and faith. You just go and do whatever you want to do. There's nothing we need to follow. There's no guidelines. Live and let live. That is not what the early church did. What we actually see here is the early stages of them trying to discern, say, what do we actually do? How do we live? How do we know how to honour God? And how do we bring these groups together? Because we might have come to this conclusion, but there are going to be a lot of Jewish Christians that are uncomfortable with this. How do we actually be a body of believers? So they sent with them a letter that says this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. So they're actually not saying this is their opinion. They're putting this as being the Spirit has told us this. This is not just a good idea. This is not just us thinking, you know, oh, we think this is what it is. They're saying, actually, this is what the Spirit says. They are speaking on behalf of the Spirit. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us. Not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And so what we have here, in case you weren't quite sure, why these four things? Like, Why are these four things? Of all the Old Testament, this is what they boil it down to. Why these four things? Well, firstly, there are two commands that this speaks to. One of the commands is about idolatry that you are to love the Lord your God. So we recommend don't eat meat that's actually been offered to other gods. That's going to be a really hard bridge to get over. It's going to be really hard for you to interact with other people and really hard for the other Jewish people to interact with you if you're going about eating food that's actually been offered to other gods. So one of the things is about one of the commands. Another command is there is sexual immorality. Now, the reality is is that sexual immorality is generally prevalent in cultures that have turned from God. That that sexual immorality seems to be one of the main areas where groups that turn away from God have significant shifts in. And yet, again, that's within the commands. It's within the way that the, the Ten Commandments are looking around these things. But there are also two concessions. So these aren't in the Ten Commandments. These are kind of general practices that sort of took place that would also be uncomfortable for the Jewish believers if they were going to actually be able to form a church together. Uh, One of them is, so blood and meat from strangled animals. So to be considerate of others who may be offended by the freedom the gospel brings. This is a, hey, think about how it's actually going to go across to these other people. Because a large part of following Jesus is actually learning to be selfless. To to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbour as yourself. And we think as we think about what's going to make it hard for the Jewish people to actually sort of come alongside you, here are two areas that you would do well to avoid. Because these are really big things in Jewish culture. And the reason for these four practices in this particular context, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list that this is all we have to do for the rest of Christianity. This is, again, the beginning stages. They've only just decided they're not going to be Jewish. There is much more that we learn throughout the New Testament that helps to guide the processes and practices of what this looks like. 
But the reason for these four things in particular is they are particularly present in most Gentile worship practices. That, that these four things, offering food to idols, sexual practices as part of worship, blood and meat from strangled animals, these are things that were very, very indicative of worship of Gentile gods, of pagan gods, of gods that were not Yahweh. And so they're really saying to them, we really want to help you come together with these Christians, come together with these Jewish Christians and learn what it means to be one body. But what we're reminded from this, because remember, we're in a time now which is much more like what it was at the time of Jesus. What they're in essence saying here is, we don't preach preach Jesus, not Judaism. What they're effectively saying is, it's not about being a Jew and following all the Jewish customs. It's letting your heart be changed and knowing Jesus. Well, in our context today, and this might be a little bit, it might ruffle some feathers, and that's okay. I can, I can sit comfortably with ruffled feathers. We don't preach Christianity. We preach Christ. One of the hardest things for, for missionaries when they go overseas to go into other cultures and they go to live in those places is they have to be really, really careful that they don't just bring their Western Christianity into that culture. They have to learn to bring distinctive flavours of what that culture looks like and how to follow Jesus in that culture. And the thing is, it's, it's almost easier to do that when you go into another country that has a very distinctly different space. But the reality in our Western culture today is it's much the same for us. That our world no longer looks like it once did. See, Romans 10 verse 9 to 10, I actually think really summarises the heart of the gospel. The, 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 really, the areas that we need to really, really focus in on. And it says this in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you, are, that you profess and are saved. That, that as, this is Paul. So Paul, who's not really on the scene so much yet. Uh, Paul is saying, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's what it actually means to be saved. Everything else is learning to live together in community. Everything else is learning to live in the way that God would have things. But this is what a person has to get first. They need to meet Jesus. They need to come to understand who Jesus is in their life. And they've got a lifetime to go and learn what it means to follow him. See, one of the challenges that we've got is that we come out of a Christendom period and so much of the practices of our church, not this as in the church, I should say, actually come from that Christendom period. Now, Christendom, very, very roughly speaking, is that period of around 300 AD where Rome decided to make Christianity the religion. So somewhere around 300, 350, there's a period there where it actually becomes the religion of Rome. And whether or not you actually believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus. 
Do you believe in Jesus? Because if you don't, it doesn't go well for you. It becomes the religion of Rome. All the way up until somewhere in the 1900s, again, different, um, different historians and different theologians will give different dates as to where they actually think Christendom disappeared. I think the reality is, is that it's, it's not like it's going to be one date. It's a slow progression over time where these things change. But the reason I share this, and it's going to make more sense, I think, in a moment, is in this time, kind of the way that things worked was like this. The culture was Christian, whether or not you were or not. And everybody was expected to behave like Christians. That The laws were written to kind of make it so that you lived the Christian way. And so actually the very first interaction you often had with God was actually that you were just taught to behave. You were taught to behave like a Christian because culture taught that. Hopefully in time you came to believe in Jesus. Hopefully in time, uh, you came to experience the grace of God. And only then would you be allowed to belong to the church. Only then would you be allowed to have a seat at the table. To, to be able, When you behave like a good Christian and you believe like a good Christian, you can belong like a good Christian. But I don't actually think this is what the model looks like today. And I'm not the only one. I didn't come up with the one I'm about to show you. I'm not that smart. What I actually think is it's a lot more like what it looked like in the early church. And I'll explain why that is in a moment. And that's this. Actually, the starting place, if we want to really see a radical retransformation of our culture into knowing Jesus, we need to find ways of helping people to have a sense of belonging before they have any desire to believe or behave. The church should be the first place that those who feel broken, that those who are hurting, that those who, who feel a long way from God, the church should be the first place that they actually feel, I can go there and I can belong while I work the rest of it out. That, that I can go along and they will love on me and they will support me and I won't have it all together and I won't have all the right answers and I certainly won't be living the lifestyle that you might be expected to live as a Christian. But that I can actually be in that place and belong. And I get this from the model of Jesus. He didn't choose his disciples because they believed he was the Messiah. That when the disciples first started to follow Jesus, they had no idea what they were actually getting themselves in for. They just thought they were following a Jewish rabbi. That, that Jesus came alongside them and he gave them a place of belonging and he let them journey with him to the place where they went, you're the saviour. What? You're not just a rabbi, you're, you're, you are the son of God. And then, only after Jesus dies on the cross, do we actually see the disciples kind of get it and start to follow Jesus. Because most of the New Testament stories prior to Jesus dying on the cross are all stories of the disciples stuffing it up, making mistakes, getting it wrong, lacking faith, not knowing what to do, being surprised by, Jesus, you can't talk to them. Do you know who they are? Do you know the kind of person that you're engaging with? Have you seen what they do on Friday nights? Jesus let people belong 
and interact with him at a radical level beyond what you could imagine long before they chose to believe and certainly long before they began to behave. Now, did he expect them to do those things? Yes, he did. When he, when he, when he healed some people, it's like, go now and leave your life of sin. Don't just embrace the healing and go off and keep doing what you're doing. It's not a case of, you know, you get to belong and you belong forever and you never need to get onto the behave and believe, to believe and behave section. No, that's not what discipleship was. But the starting place was incredibly different. It was creating those spaces and places for people to belong before they had it all together. In fact, in spite of not having it together. And loving them enough to journey with them and, and to help them and to challenge them and to provoke them and to love them and to support them and to be gracious to them and to see them fall down and pick them back up again. No journey to Jesus is a straight line. If you think of your own journey, I'm sure you would agree. It's kind of all over the place. And hopefully it's generally in a forwards direction. But that is what it looks like in a post-Christian world to actually journey with people towards Jesus. Our styles are cultural bridges, how we do things. We do church on a Sunday, we do church on a Saturday, we do church on a Wednesday. When we do it, how we do it, do we do songs, do we, do, do we raise our hands, do we not raise our hands? There are all kinds of different things that go into our styles and those things. You know what actually really matters? Our attitudes of faith defining. Do we create a welcoming space for people who don't look like us? Are we able to walk alongside someone who may not have it all together yet and love them anyway? Are we willing to challenge? And there are times that that's appropriate. When people are living destructive lifestyles, it's not a just let it go, but meet them there. And then journey with them as they try and work it out. Our attitudes. It says God knows the heart. That's what he's looking for. Look for their heart. Get to know them as a person. Oftentimes the behaviour that's actually coming out is being built as a facade to cover what's really going on inside. And if you don't let them belong before they have to behave, you actually won't get to know what's really going on. Why are they that way? Why are they acting that way? Why are they doing what they're doing? It's so often coming from a place of hurt, a place of brokenness, a place of never having a place to belong. What's a method and what's the message? And what I bring it back to, and I think this is what Jesus brought it back to again and again and again, what a person needs to do is they need to know Jesus. Everything else will come. Everything else, they might have questions about creation. That I might, they might have questions about uh, there's, you know, whatever the hot button topic issue is in the world today, and there's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. They're not going to necessarily get their answers to that. They're not going to necessarily even change their way of thinking about those things before they meet Jesus. The question that we need to help people wrestle with is, who do you think Jesus is? You know the amount of people that call themselves spiritual, but not religious, that believe in Jesus. They don't quite know what they mean by that, because if you actually scratch beneath the surface, there's a whole lot of things going on there. 
But that's a very common thing that those outside the church today, they would say they're spiritual, but they're not religious, but they believe in Jesus, but they don't quite know what that means. Meet them in the questions around Jesus. Get them to wrestle with, do you think Jesus lived? If you don't think he lived and died and rose again, let's just kind of, let's wrestle around that. Because someone coming to know Jesus is the starting point. All the other, they might want to ask the other questions, and that's okay. Like, go with them and be okay. But if they think differently, don't be like, that's it, you can't know Jesus because you don't think in the, you, you don't believe in evolution, or you don't believe in creation, or you don't believe in the flood, or you don't believe in. That all comes later. Do you think Jesus was a real person? Do you think he lived? Do you think he died? Do you think he rose again? Do you think he died for our sins? You'll spend the rest, because I'm sure you've got questions beyond that. I'm sure you're spending the rest of your life trying to work out the rest of that. I know I am. But my faith is built on that. And I look forward to the days of learning and journeying and questioning and having a back and forth with God where I kind of think that I know better, but I eventually learn that I don't. And that's what faith looks like. But what do they think about Jesus? Let that be the starting point. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in particular in, in this time period that you would help us to be followers of Jesus, not just preachers of Christianity. Lord, that you would help us to wrestle with your story, who you are, what you did for us on the cross. Give us the words, give us the on-ramps, help us to find ways to connect with people, to draw them to that conversation. Help us to hold lightly where we can on things that might be beyond that. Help us to live with conviction for ourselves. Help us to be learning what it means to follow you not just staying in our one spot and being stuck, but, Lord, journeying through our lives to become more and more the people that you called us to be. I thank you for the courage of those early Christians, those early followers who recognised that being Jewish is not what you came to do. They were willing to cut to the heart of it and actually just help the Gentiles find you. Lord, may we do that today. May you help us in our post-Christian world to be able to have gracious conversations that leave space for people to belong in our, in our friendships, to belong in our church, to belong in our homes, to belong in our community. That somehow through that time and relationship they will come to believe. And give us grace as we journey together. And we don't all get it right. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.